0: Great to see you in our series. It's Rebuild, Rebuild. I wonder, well, let let me start this way. July 4th, 1995 was our first 4th of July in San Diego. And so we thought, hey, it's 4th of July. Let's go to the beach. Now, I don't know, there's nothing wrong with going to the beach. And maybe we picked the wrong day to go to the beach, July 4th. But we thought, let's go to the beach on July 4th. So we did. And we went to the most... The beach that we knew the best, which was La Jolla Shores. And so, you know, it's a great beach. And the reason we knew about it, because every Thursday, when we were at the church that we served in San Diego, the students, during the summertime, always went to the beach, and they always went to La Jolla Shores. So our kids knew La Jolla Shores, so we thought we'd go there. Well, as you might imagine, parking was a bit of a challenge, okay, But we circled diligently the parking lot and we found a place. And so I had to make a loop to get back into the parking lot or parking space. So Marcy hopped out of the car and she's going to save the space so I could run around. Well, that turned badly quickly because someone else spotted the same space and they wanted it. And they were going to do everything they could to remove my dear wife from the parking space. Even to the point of hitting her with the car. And so by the time I got there, conflict was everywhere. We were doing everything we could do. I was pulling out every thought and every word and every kind of, any way that I could figure out how to not create something crazy. Well, gratefully, those folks, they left and we had a pretty good day at the beach. And here's the thing that I want to get across. Conflict happens. There's no way that conflict will not happen in your life and in mine, whether it's at the beach, whether it's in your home, whether it's at work, whether it is in your neighborhood. Conflict happens. Conflict even happens in the church. I wish it didn't, but it does. Conflict happens. And I think some of the times, some of the reasons that conflict happens is it's just for people. And we just kind of get at edge with one another. And I wonder, have you ever been in conflict? If you haven't, it, it, you will. You know, there's the encouraging word for today. It, it'll, it'll happen at some point. Conflict happens. Now there are those unique folks that love conflict. I don't know. About, I don't know where that comes from. But the reality for each of us is that what are we going to do when conflict arises? I'm always amazed at how quickly and how many things Google can immediately put in front of you in less than one second. Listen to this, in less than one second, if you put in conflict resolution, in less than one second, you will have 478 million pieces of information in one, in less than one second. So what does it tell me? What does it tell us? It tells us that conflict is a reality. But not only is conflict a reality, resolving conflict is also a possibility. Possibility. We don't have to live in a place where we're constantly in conflict or constantly in a struggle. We can actually find a resolution to conflict. In fact, I would just leave this with you. Conflict happens even in the midst of the most admirable of pursuits. So for God's sake, what what, what do we do? And it's that phrase, for God's sake, that really forms the topic this morning, for God's sake. Now, that oath, is, that that statement is an oath of exasperation. It is an annoyance, a frustration, even anger or surprise. Other, other phrases like it, for goodness sake, for Pete's sake, essentially is the same. But what I want to do is I want to take that phrase and I want to take it into the purest of forms, for God's sake. In other words, for the sake of God's Good name and reputation. For the sake of God's good name and reputation, can we resolve the conflicts in a way that honors him? That that really promotes godliness within our lives? I think we can. And in fact, Nehemiah is going to help us do that. Now, I found a thing that I thought was interesting from the American Management Association. They, in 2019, produced five steps to conflict resolution. Okay? And here are those five steps. I'm just going to look at them really, really fast. First, define the source of the conflict. Define the source of the conflict. So, in other words, you've got to find out the information. What is it that's driving this? The second, the second thing is look beyond the incident. Now, what, is, what does it exactly mean? Well, it could be a very minor thing that has just exploded into something major. But look behind the scenes. In other words, it is that part of kind of finding the source of the conflict. But look behind the minor things to the things that are really driving it. Number three is request solutions. Steer the discussion. Steer the discussion away from finger pointing and towards ways of resolving it. The fourth is to identify solutions. What are the different ways that we can come to a solution? And then number five is come to a point of agreement. Now, I'm not here to spend a lot of time talking about what the American Management Association has suggested, but here's what I want you to catch. 2,500 years ago, that's essentially what Nehemiah did. And what we read and what we discover in Nehemiah chapter number five is we, we discover conflict, but we also discover how conflict is resolved. In the most admirable admirable of pursuits, conflict has happened. But what does Nehemiah do to resolve the conflict? So we're going to look through a few things this morning that I trust will be helpful. Because conflict happens in each of our lives. The first thought is this. Resolving conflict requires listening and understanding. Resolving conflict requires listening and understanding. I wonder if you've ever been on the receiving end of a question like this. Are you listening now, I remember numerous times when I was in school when the teacher would look at me and say, Gary, are you listening? And I would say, huh? Huh? What what what? What, what? 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 The point, I think there's a big difference between hearing and listening. Now, if you look at the classical definitions of hearing and listening, they're very similar. They're very similar. But I really do believe that there is something different I might say it this way listening seems to be active hearing. That when I hear something, I begin to act on what I hear. When it comes to conflict, we need to listen, we need to understand. Because if we don't, we're never going to get to the core issues that are driving that which is creating conflict. Nehemiah does this masterfully. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse number 1. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. So others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's taxes on our fields and vineyards. Although we're of the same flesh and blood, our fellow Jews, and, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have... We have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. So there's the information that's been laid out for Nehemiah. He's hearing all of this and he's saying, okay, let's let's kind of figure this out. Well, there are really three or four things that prompted the people to raise a great outcry, as the scriptures would say. The first was basic needs. Basic needs. The folks were hungry. Here they are building the walls or rebuilding the walls. But they still have to feed their families. And it's a real, it's a real need. There's something that's right in front of them. This is a basic need, but it's causing a conflict. You see, the city, although large, the walls were approximately one and a half to two and a half miles in circumference. And there were very few people living in the city at the time. But now this large group of folks comes from Persia to help rebuild. Now the city cannot support economically the people that are there. So now the basic needs that are there are just not being met. Here's one one way that one writer put it. You can't eat walls. You just can't. It's practical. There are basic needs, and this is causing the people to start to have conflict. Just basic things. It's real. Understand, sometimes conflict, as difficult or as challenging it may be, really has, there's reality that that is driving it. It's not something that somebody's making up. That's why listening and understanding is important. Also, there was a debilitating famine. So basic needs, but now add to that a famine. Famine. And when the famine comes, what happens? There's just not as much to go around. And so again, this is real. This is not something the people are making up. They're hungry, they will need to feed their families. That's reality. But now there's a famine. Then you add to this extreme taxation. They feel oppressed from Persia. Understand, the Persian king might have said, oh, go back and rebuild the walls, that's just fine. But keep the taxes coming because I wanna make sure that I am well taken care of and, and that my court is fed well and, and that I can do whatever I wanna do based upon the revenue. He's not backing down on the taxes. And, he said, and the people are saying, wait a minute, this is oppressive. We, we do not have the money to pay, plus we're hungry, plus there's a famine. And then the fourth thing is there was ungodly exploitation. So now it starts to even get deeper. You see, every, every slave was to be released, according to the law of Moses. Every slave was to be released after six years. And every seven years, according to the law, all the property would be returned to the, to the rightful owner. This has not been done. And now, Jew to Jew, what is happening is that they are exploiting and taking sons and daughters and putting them into slavery, a direct violation of the law of God. Conflict is rising up. The people are stirred. And they're telling this to Nehemiah because this, the scripture says there was a great outcry. They're speaking their hearts. They're speaking their minds. These are things that are real. These are things that are happening. And it is creating conflict. When we face conflict, It's really important to have all of the details and the facts and not to jump to a conclusion that it may be unrealistic. It might not be right. Proverbs 18 and verse number 13 says, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Conflict happens and each one of us here today and each one of us joining online are going to have to deal with it at some point. Listen, understand, listen to also what James says in 1, chapter 1, verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Listen and understand is the first step in helping to resolve conflict. The second is resolving conflict demands a godly confrontation. Now this is where the bulk of of our time together is going to be it's going to be spent. So look at it. Look with me at Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 6 through verse 13. Now Nehemiah says, When I heard the outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and the officials. I told them, You are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, As far as possible, we, we bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you're selling your own people. Only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the, the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, their groves and houses. And also the interest you're charging. You have 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We'll give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. And I summoned the priests and made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, God <clears throat> may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep, this, keep his prom, this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord that the people did as they had promised. Nehemiah, what you, what you observe is a threefold response. The first one is he was angered. He was angered. I, I don't know. Have you ever, like me, gotten angry about something? Probably. We, we, you know, That's something that we probably deal with from time to time. And, but when you think about this, you read this and you say, he got angry and you say, well, that's not very godly. He's supposed to be a leader, but he's angry. What's that all about? I I don't know if you know the name of Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer was uh, kind of an apologist, uh, theologian, writer in the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s. He wrote a book, How Shall We Then Live? His son, Frankie Schaeffer, made this statement. Listen to this. There are times in which anyone with a shred of moral principle should be profoundly angry. Listen to this. We live... In such times. I wonder what it is it, what is it that makes you angry? When you see injustice, do you get angry? When you understand that in the last forty-eight years, nearly 62 million babies have never had a chance to breathe one breath of air. Do we get angry about the 25 million people who are, who are globally trafficked in slavery? Does it make us angry? It should. These are things that should cause us to be angered because they are contrary to godliness. We live in such a time. We live in such a time and anger without sin is absolutely possible. Which, Nehemiah, here's the way I wrote it in my notes, Nehemiah got hot and bothered. He was angry at what he was seeing and what he was hearing. Some years ago, I was sitting in my office and having a conversation with a couple. And I can still see it very vividly in my mind. Young couple, they were expecting a child, they had at least one. I think they may. They may have had two. I don't recall that. But they were, had come to me to seek some advice and some counsel. And the young lady was, she was um, quite along, quite far along in her pregnancy. She was in tears, and there was conflict between these two. And he sat across the table from me, or from my desk and he said some of the cruelest things i have ever heard a man say to a woman and i tell you for the first time i think probably for the first time in my my professional ministry life i wanted to come across the table and just i was angry i was angry Now, was that justified? I would have to let God be the judge of that. But at that moment, it was justified because of what I was hearing was so contrary to godliness. It was was contrary to everything just... in just the normal course of kindness, compassion. I don't think they ever resolved their conflicts. What a tragedy. He was angry. And I think for us as the people of God, it is perfectly appropriate to be angry about the things that anger God, that grieve his heart, that hurt his heart. But it's an anger with godliness and its foundation Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. James 1, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Do you see that? Human anger. No, no, no. Godly anger. Because when godly anger comes upon us, we are going to Act. We're going to respond in an appropriate way to turn the injustice, the hurt, the difficulty, the challenge into something that glorifies God. And that's what Nehemiah does. We can be angry and not sin. The second thing he did, he not only was angry, he pondered. I love that word, ponder. Ponder. To ponder something means to consider something deeply and thoroughly. So it's, it's essentially saying he stopped for a moment he was listening and he was understanding. And he was controlling his anger because he had to get himself together before he could actually respond in an appropriate manner. And, and to me, that is so significant. His anger drove him to thoughtfulness. And then from there, the third thing he was angered, he pondered, and then he acted. You see, if we are just moved by emotion, if we're just stirred, and nothing comes from that, in two weeks, we're going to have an opportunity to hear about a brand new opportunity of ministry at Crossroads Church. And I'm really excited about it. While I'm not going to spoil it, I'm just going to say it's a response to a need to hear that there is a need and not respond is just not what the people of God are to do. When there is conflict regardless of what we've got to respond and Nehemiah is doing that. He's not just angry. He's not just thinking through it but now he's going to act and it's in this action that I want to share five thoughts of action towards resolving of conflict. The first is this. He shares his example now, that it might not seem like much, but it's huge. It's huge. My heart was broken last couple of days as I read of a, of a moral failure of somebody I highly respected. It was broken. And now forever, that example has been tarnished. And I can never look the same as I once did. I'm telling you, the example is powerful. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah is an example of when he's talking about resolving conflict, he says, Look, guys, what you're doing is wrong. Here's what we have done. His example was the first part of his action. It wasn't something that he was going to do, which he will, but it's something he had already done. He was living it. And I just challenge every one of us here this morning and everyone watching online how is your example? Because it said so much in resolving conflict. If our example's messed up, what leg do we have to stand on? He led by example, Titus 2.7. And here you yourself must be an example to them of good deeds of every kind. Listen to this. Let everything you do reflect your love of the truth And the fact that you are in dead earnest about it. I'm telling you, I am challenged by that. I'm convicted to my core to ask myself this question. How's my example? How's my example? The second thing that Nehemiah does, he prioritizes the fear of the Lord. He shares his example and he prioritizes the fear of the Lord. Look at what he says. He says, shouldn't you walk? In the fear of the Lord? And I want to just say to all of us publicly, I'm going to answer the question, yeah, we should. We should walk in the fear of the Lord, the awe and the respect and the honor that is due God and God alone. I will tell you something, that will be evidence in your life when we walk in the fear of the Lord. When we walk in the holy reverence of God, we desperately need it. You see, he says this, it's powerful. Notice, he says, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? What? That's an incredible statement. His statement, the reproach of our Gentile enemies is powerful. A man by the name of W.E. Sangster, this is what he wrote. He says, are some people outside the church because I'm inside the church? Because our example is so poor. We don't live in the fear of God, but rather we let culture dictate who we are, what we do, all we say, everything, and we begin to filter. We filter the scriptures through culture rather than culture through scripture. Because if we filter culture through Scripture, we will live in the fear of the Lord because we will not do anything to bring reproach to the name of our God or to anyone to keep them outside, outside the salvation and grace of God because of me. God, help me. God, forgive me. for The times I have so miserably failed. You see, have... Have you failed? Probably every day. Most of us have. Most of us do. That's why when we pray in the mornings, and even I referenced it today, when you pray, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and do what? Turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear, then I'll forgive, and then I'll heal. I want to make that a regular part of my life. Amen? that I'm living in the fear of the Lord. I never want to cause someone to be outside the church because I'm inside it. I want my life to honor God. No wonder the scriptures say, Romans 2.24, the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. God forgive me if that ever takes place. Amen? Amen? Also, he challenges the people to Commitment. He says, get back to them immediately. Now, that's a, that's a pretty strong word. I, I don't know whether you, you know, I'm not, not much of a Nike fan, okay? I just got to be honest. I'm more of an Adidas guy, all right? Now, there's this big conflict between Adidas and I don't, whatever. I like Adidas. All right, so there you go. I have come clean, I have confessed. I'm, a, I'm an Adidas guy. But I do like this. I love Nike's slogan, "Just Do It," because it's potent. And that's what Nehemiah is saying: Do this immediately. words, hey, get it done, get it done. You're not. What are you waiting for? Get it done. And there's something about this in conflict resolution that is so very important. Why do we procrastinate? Why do we wait? Why do we delay? No, get it done. When you're doing the right things, when you're listening and you're understanding and you're responding appropriately before God, when your example is intact, when you're fearing of God, get it done. Get it done. I love it. I love it. Nehemiah says this. He says, then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they promised. He is putting his thumb on them, saying, guys, get this done. In fact, I want you to take an oath that you're gonna get it done. And I'm telling you, that's, they're just putting it out there. I love it. I love the way he approaches this. He required them to, to make a commitment far greater Adjust a cursory nod in that direction. You know what that's like, right? Okay, I'll get it. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And that's about it. Nothing ever happens. No. Nehemiah went one step further. The fifth thing he says, he see, he emphasizes the consequence, or fourth thing, excuse me, he emphasizes the consequences of their action. And or inaction, I should say. <clears throat> the consequences of their inaction. Now what he does, he does a very symbolic prophetic moment. He takes a, It's a symbolic prophetic moment. He takes his robe off and he shakes it at him. Now, that sounds a little weird. <laughs> and I, honestly, it, if, so, if, okay, if I were to take off my coat, I don't have a coat. If I took off a coat that I don't have and I shook it at you, and say, okay, there you go. You go, well, that was about the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. But what he does, the folds of his robe unfold and it's that symbolic action just as these these creases these folds in my robe they disappear so will you be emptied of everything if you do not follow through on the promises that you've made and here's the thing if we fail to honor the our word before the lord there's probably emptiness in our future God takes seriously the decisions that we make. If our desire is to resolve conflict, then for God's sake, let's do what we said we would do. And if it's to repent, repent. If it's to ask for forgiveness, ask. Do what we said we would do. Don't expect God to just overlook or dismiss the commitments we make and then continue to bless us regardless. God I'm going to do this and then not do it. no do what we said we would do. remember, just do it Matthew chapter 5. again you've heard it's, you' have heard that it was said that people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven. For it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of our great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Again, it's just do it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes these laws that were so embedded into the culture of the Jewish nation. He says, I'm going to take this, and yes, that's good, but I am going to fill it I'm going to show you how powerful it is when you truly act on it an oath don't take an oath just let your yes be yes and your no be no if you're going to make a commitment to God keep it if you're not going to make a commitment to God so be it let your yes be yes and your no be no just do it and the fifth thing he recognizes their agreement to act and I think this is really significant I think it's something we might miss here's what they said we will do as you say And the people did as they promised. Now, why is that significant to me? And why is it significant in in the realm of resolving conflict? If I'm in a position where I'm dealing with conflict and I'm trying to bring resolution and however it looks, when somebody says, I'm going to do it, here's what I'm going to do, way to go. I'm going to champion that. I'm going to bless them for saying, yes, I'm going to do it. Way to go. That is a good decision. And then when they do it, I'm going to circle back and say, way to go. Because God's going to honor you because of the decision made. And it's interesting that in Nehemiah's memoirs, he includes their agreement to do so and their response. It's significant. The people follow through. And Nehemiah records it. Remember, God sees, God hears, And God knows the commitments that we make. The final thought this morning is this. Resolved conflict endures due to godly consistency. Resolved conflict endures because of godly consistency. Now look at the last portion here in chapter 5, verses 14 and 19. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor, in the land of Judah until his thirty-second year, twelve years. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the early gov- earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took forty shekels of silver from them in addition to the food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for work, and we did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. Now, it's an interesting change of setting. It appears that the story advances 12 years into the future. And now it's that he's looking back. Now, it's perfectly appropriate for Nehemiah to have taken the the food and the portions allotted to the governor. That wasn't inappropriate for him to do it. He decided not to. He decided not to. And I think there are some things that we see in his character that 12 years later, he's still living them, just as he had done when this conflict arose. And I believe what that does, it sustains. It allows conflict to continue to be resolved because of a consistency of character and nature. The first one is this, a reverence for God. Out of reverence for God, it really forms the basis for everything that Nehemiah does. And I think it should for all of us. You want to be sustained not only in conflict resolution for whatever that conflict looks like in your life. You want to be sustained in life and family and work and neighbors and school and have a reverence for God revere him honor him respect him give him the glory that is due his name proverbs 9 fear of the lord is the foundation of wisdom knowledge of the holy one results in good judgment it's the foundation of wisdom can i challenge all of us this morning to let the fear of the lord be the foundation of all that we are and all that we do. The second thing is that he had a dependence on God. Although it was perfectly appropriate for him to take all of the food allotted to him as the governor, he decided not to. What does it tell you? His dependence was on God. And he lived that out. And what an incredible statement and testimony to the people that he had walked this conflict with. And they had all of the difficulties and the challenges that were there His life, he said, I just, I depend on God. And God is taking care of me. It's essentially what he is saying. My God will liberally supply, fill until full your every need, according to his riches, in glory in Christ Jesus. And then, lastly, he had compassion for people. When Nehemiah says, remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people, it shows his love and his respect for the people he served. That consistency of character will sustain the conflict that he walked through, that he heard, that he confronted, that he managed, that he saw resolution accomplished. Because what we're going to learn next week is that they went back to building the wall. The conflict was resolved. And the conflict that was resolved endured because of the character of the leader whom God had put in place of leadership in Judah. Remember, as we close, conflict is going to come. It's going to come. And res- resolution to that conflict is possible. And I believe that Nehemiah gives us some ways to do that. We listen and understand why conflict is where it is We We confront it in a godly manner. And he outlines some things for us to help us do so. Then if we remain consistent in our faith and life, the conflict that we have seen resolved, that we've dealt with, It's going to be sustained. It's going to endure. I want you to pray with me this morning, but before you do, I just want to ask a real quick question. Okay? Ever had conflict? Anybody willing to lift their hand with me? Both hands? And foot, you know, get them all up there? Yeah, we all have. Why is it, what what does it mean? It means that conflict happens. But there's a way to resolve conflict in a godly manner. And Nehemiah helps us do just that. Look to him as an example. Look to God's word to help us resolve the conflicts that each of us are going to face. Pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, for today. And Lord, we do pray for all the conflicts that may be occurring, even at this point in each of our lives. Commit them to you. We Thank you, Jesus, that you're, help. you're able to help us to resolve them, but help us to put into place the right process the the way to do so in a way that honors you thank you thank you for Nehemiah's life and his example I'm grateful for that and Lord I pray that in the conflicts that we experience we'll see resolution we'll see the outcomes that honor you and I pray Lord that I as an individual and each of us gathered here and then online as well. None of us would ever be in a place that would push people aside because our lives just don't measure up to the things of God. And I know we're never going to be perfect. That's not the point. But God, help us live in the fear of the Lord. Act accordingly. Thank you. So that people are drawn to you. When conflict arises, let people see in us a godliness, a character, a character honors you, and honors your word. And I'm confident, Lord, when they do, not only will conflict be resolved, but it will stay resolved. We'll always be able to to revisit that which you have put into our hearts so that that conflict, once resolved, stays resolved. Give you all the thanks and praise in Jesus' name.